Welcome you again on this Sunday morning to our worship service, and what a joy it's been to sing the praises of Christ. Thank you so much, Randy and the praise team, for leading us in those songs, and uh, we do thank you, Huey, for uh, providing for us and for sharing with us those very important announcements. God is doing uh, um, many things at our church, so let's continue to pray and to seek his will together. Well, I want to pray before we get into the word this morning as we uh, approach Uh, The Holy Word of God, I feel the need to pray, so uh, let's come to the throne of grace together. Our Father, how we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, Lord, that we have to bow before you and just to quiet our hearts before who you are and acknowledge that you are sovereign, holy, true, faithful, righteous, compassionate, gracious. From eternity to eternity, you are God. You are the one who works all things according to the counsel of your will. You are the one who declares the end from the beginning. And Lord, you have commanded us, exhorted us in your word to be still, to be still before you, to know that you are God to know that you will be exalted in the heavens, to know that you will be exalted in the earth, to know that you will accomplish all your good purpose, and just to quiet our hearts before you. And Lord, I know in my own heart that is sometimes the most difficult thing to do, that our hearts are so easily distracted, and our minds are so filled with so many things, and our hearts are moving at a million miles an hour, And Lord, you've commanded us, you have called us to be still before you. And so Lord, as we come to your word this morning, may we understand that these are the very holy words of God. That you have spoken, Lord, that we may hear and understand who you are and what you desire for our lives. And Lord, quiet our hearts before your word this morning that the Holy Spirit may take the words that are spoken, O Father, and implant it in our hearts in such a way that they would not just be intellectual understanding of your truth, but the eyes of our hearts would be opened and enlightened and flooded with light, and that there would be a real and a true apprehension, understanding of the truths that are in your word, that our hearts would be changed, revitalized, revived, By the work of your holy scriptures, Father, we pray, and I pray this, Lord, as one who is coming before you, Lord, understanding that I cannot affect this kind of change through your word, and so I am utterly, hopelessly dependent on you, Lord, for this ministry, and we all are, Lord. So we're coming to you and just pleading that you would do your work now as we open your word and accomplish beyond what we can ask or think. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians this morning, Ephesians chapter 1, and the text that we're going to be looking at is verses 15 to 19. And as you do that, let me just take a moment to share my heart with you this morning and what the Lord has been teaching me and impressing upon my heart. I think it's about the last few weeks that the Lord has been revealing very clearly in my own life a specific sin, and that is the sin of self-reliance, the sin of self-sufficiency, the sin that, in which I want to have the answers to everything. I want to be able to analyze 
the problems and come to a solution. I want to be able to use my own talents and my own abilities and my own mental faculties to figure things out. And if I can just organize things well enough or schedule things well enough or just list the pros and cons, then I can come to the right solution and just figure out my life and to figure out the problems in the church. And the Lord has been exposing to me that that is a form of pride. It's a form of pride in my own heart, just uh, the pride of self-reliance, the pride of not bringing all of my issues and my problems to God and just crying out to Him and saying, God, I'm desperate for you, that, they, that I need you. And because of my own self-reliance that I go my own way and instead of bringing everything to God and just, just, just submitting myself to God in prayer and in humility, that the sin of this self-sufficient spirit is so alive in my heart. And I think these last number of weeks, the Lord has been revealing that sin in my life by putting me in some very difficult situations that seem in my, my own heart to be impossible to resolve. And I don't know how, if you've ever been there, where you've just been in a situation where you feel like the door's closed here and the door's closed here and the door's closed in front of you and there seems no way out and if you back up, then there's a wall behind you and where do I go? And Lord, what do you want me to do? There's no way forward. The mountains in front of us seem so big and And it seems impossible to, from my vantage point, Lord, what do I do? And this week I was just, um, to be honest with you, just burdened and just overwhelmed and just struggling and discouraged in my own heart. And I had a number of interactions which seemed to be consecutively discouraging. And maybe you've been there where the circumstances just seem to pile up and you hit a string where it just, it's just, discouraging upon discouraging, and just hoping for some light at the end of the tunnel, and there just didn't seem to be any. And I was just in my car this week, because the car with four kids is sometimes the only quiet place in my life, and, and I was parked in front of Boba Time, which is a great place to pray. And, um, and I was just crying out to the Lord. And um, people were walking by, and Sure, they're looking at my car and saying, gosh, what kind of boba did he eat? Because uh, he seems pretty frantic here. And sometimes your prayers have some order and some logic, and you have some sort of structure you work through. Well, this wasn't that kind of prayer. It was just, it was just crying out to God. God, you got to help me. God, you got to come through. For me. God, you got you to show me. Uh, you got to show me that Christ. You got to help me with my heart. You got to encourage my heart. You got to show me the gospel's real. I just need you to break through here because I'm just struggling. I need you to show me that you're bigger than whatever's in front of me. I need that realness in, in my own heart. I need that to be real in my heart right now. Lord, you gotta, you gotta show me. You gotta help me here. I'm just crying out to God. And I was reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul where he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 that we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. He said, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. Paul says that God put me in an impossible situation where there's no way forward and no way through in order to teach me to expose my sin of self-reliance and to teach me that I needed to rely on him. And I was there with Paul this week, 
in front of Boba time of all places. And um, after I was finished crying out to the Lord, I happened to open a book that I was reading, and the book happened to land on a particular page. And if I believed in continuing revelation, then I would have said this is a word of prophecy, but I don't. I'm a cessationist. So I'll just say that maybe the Lord really loves me as he does you. Because the quote that I happened to land on was words by John Piper, and it simply said this, a cry for help from the heart of a childlike pastor is sweet praise in the ears of God. He said, nothing exalts him more than the collapse of self-reliance, which issues in passionate prayer for help. And what the Lord was teaching me is, Dan, the reason why, the reason why I have placed you in this situation by my sovereign power is this is the lesson that you need to learn. There needs to be a collapse in your heart of your self-reliant spirit. The reason why you are burdened excessively beyond your strength is so that you would learn to rely on the one who raises the dead. And that quote was just affirming to my heart that, Dan, when you are there, when you have nowhere to turn to but God, and when you are desperate for him, and you're saying that there is no other answer except God, you have to be the one who shows up here. And that is sweet praise. Is sweet praise in the ears of God. And if there's any reason, if there's anything else that God wanted to do in my life, it was just to bring me there. It was just to bring me to that point. And if that's all that he, he does in this time and in this season, if that's all that he does in his circumstances, I could look back and say, you know, that was a sweet time. Because that is exactly where I needed to be. And what I want to say to you this morning as a church is that I believe that that is exactly what the Lord is doing, not only in my heart, but in the life of our church. That God is exposing our sin of self-reliance. That he's bringing us to the end of ourselves. That he's showing us that our abilities are inadequate that he is showing us how desperately we need to rely upon him. And if that is the only lesson we learn in this season, as we walk with the Lord through this season of our church, if that is the only lesson that we learn, that it will have been a good lesson. It will have been a good lesson because maybe too long we have trusted in ourselves. Maybe for too long we've trusted in our own talents. Maybe for too long we've trusted in our own abilities. And maybe even for too long we have trusted in the skill of our leaders. And when all of those things pass away, and when all those things crumble, what are we left with? We are left with the God who raises the dead. And what God is showing us is that if that is all that you are left with, then that is enough. That is enough. To have God and to have him on your side and to know that he is faithful and that he is real and that he is with us and he will walk through us and that he is sovereign. It's enough. And if God could teach us 
that lesson as a church, as he is teaching me that lesson in my own heart, then I can look back with a clear conscience and I can say that this is one of the sweetest seasons that we have walked through because though we were beaten and battered by various circumstances and though we were unsettled by much uncertainty and though we were discouraged by many trials, in the end, we came to a deeper, closer relationship with God and we came to repent of our self-reliance and we came to rely on him as never before. And I'm praying that God would do that work in your life because that is, in all honesty, what God is doing in my life. I can tell you, in all honesty, in the last few weeks, I've never been so desperate for God. Just, so des- just saying, Lord, my answers are not working out. And either it's, it's you or it's nothing. God, I've got to have you. You've got to work. That's a good place to be. In fact, that's exactly where God wants us to be. And I'm sharing all this with you because as we come to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 19, I believe that this is the message that is in this text. The message that is in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 19, is to wean the church off their spirit of self-reliance and self-sufficiency and to bring the church to a true reliance on the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And I was just praying last night over this passage and praying for you as a church, praying for you as a congregation, just lifting up your souls before the Lord in prayer, just asking, Lord, if there's one thing that I could do tomorrow morning, if there's one thing that by your grace I could accomplish, may it be that we may take our eyes off our circumstances and may, would you just use me to, to, to set the saints' eyes on you? And if that's all that, that I can do, by your grace, tomorrow morning, then I can go to sleep Sunday night and sleep well. Because that is what we need. We don't need no better solutions. We don't even need better decisions. We don't need better communication. I mean, we do know we need those things, but that is not our ultimate need. What we need is, what we need is what Paul's going to show us in this text. Is what we need as a church is the Holy Spirit. That is what we need. That is our greatest need as a church right now is the Holy Spirit of God. We need his ministry, his power, his influence, his counsel, his ability. We need him to do a work. That is what we need. And if you're looking to anything else, then repent of your self-reliance because that is not what you need. Paul looks at the church at Ephesus and they're going through lots of problems, lots of trials. They live under the Roman emperor. They have lots of struggles, lots of pressures. And what he prays for them, you'll notice in this prayer, is he doesn't pray for any of their circumstances to go away. He doesn't pray for any of their problems to be resolved. He doesn't pray, Lord, just make the Ephesians' life easy and just clarify everything and make it good. No. He says what? He looks at the church and he says, what you desperately need as a church and what I'm on my knees praying for continually is you need the Holy Spirit. That's what you need. That's what you need. And sure, I believe Paul did pray that circumstances would be resolved. And I'm sure Paul did pray that problems would be worked out. I'm sure Paul did pray for circumstances to get better. But that's when he looks at the church in this prayer. He says, that is, none of that is the greatest thing that, that you need as a church. What you need as a church is more of the Spirit. 
And what we need as a church is more of the Spirit. What we need as a church is the Holy Spirit to do a sovereign work in each of our hearts and in our lives for the glory of God. We need him. And as I said, there, if there's anything that God has taught me through this season, he's brought me to just a point of desperation where I'm just saying, Lord, it's the Holy Spirit or it is nothing. It's the Holy Spirit or it is nothing. Holy Spirit of God, either you do a work or I'm done because I can't do it. Lord, I don't have the answers. I don't have the wisdom. I can't lead people. I can't change hearts. I can't encourage saints. I can't resolve problems. I can't, Lord, I'm at the end of myself. It's got to be, it's got to be you. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. It's got to be the Holy Spirit of God. And what Paul prays for in this text is just so amazing. He says, look, look with me at verse 15. He says, for this reason, because of all the things I've talked about in verses 3 to 14, because of all the blessings of the gospel that God has given to us in Christ, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering in my prayers. Paul saying, I'm praying for you, not only once, not only twice, but repeatedly, persistently. I'm always praying for you. It had been about five years since Paul had been in the church at Ephesus. He didn't even know a lot of these people who were in the church. And yet he says, I'm not ceasing to lift you up in, in my prayers. You know, Paul saw his whole life as a spiritual battle. He saw the forces of the enemy arrayed against him. He said, stand, stand in the, in the armor of God before the evil one and stand in, the, in that day. And he saw that the only way to win the spiritual battle was through the weapon of prayer. And so he was constantly praying for the church he was constantly praying for souls. He's constantly praying for people. Listen, there are problems in our church that, and, and as a pastor, I hear them all the time, and there are problems that, listen, we cannot resolve. We cannot make it better, but God can. We don't have the answers, but God does. We don't have the resources, but God does. And our response is not, well, we've been trained in seminary, so let me go at this problem with all my skill. Our response isn't, well, I've, I know the information, so let me just disseminate the information, and it'll get better. No, our response is to be as Paul's was, and that is to fall on our knees before God in prayer and just to say, God, you have to do it. And so he says, I don't cease to give prayer for you, I, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then verse 17, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, here's my prayer. I'm praying that he may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. Now let me just point you to an interpretive issue because this is the whole framework of my message here. There's an interpretive issue in verse 17 and I need to explain it to you so you understand that what I'm saying is biblical. The interpretive issue in verse 17 is, surrounds that word spirit, pneuma in verse 17. And the issue is this. Is Paul referring to the human spirit, small s, or is he referring to the Holy Spirit, big S? The word pneuma can be translated in either way. Paul could be praying, I'm praying for your human spirit, that it would grow in wisdom and in the revelation of God. Or he could be praying, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit come into your life and do a, do a work of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. So which one is it? Even 
commentators are divided over which this means, and even Bible translators are divided over which view to take. You'll see in the ESV, they've taken it as the human spirit, small s, verse 17, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In the NASB, it takes it as the human spirit, small s. But in the NIV, which I rarely favor, but in this case, I will favor, the translators translate it as the Holy Spirit, big S, capital S. Paul is praying for the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of God. Now, I believe that verse 17 indeed is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And the reason why I believe that is because of the context. Context is king in biblical interpretation. And back in verse 13, Paul said that we had been sealed with the Holy Numa, the Holy Spirit of God. And that is the last time that word Numa was used in this passage. And so it would make sense that if in verse 13 he uses the word Numa to refer to the Holy Spirit of God, then in verse 17, without any intervening uh, transitions, he would use that same word to refer to the Holy Spirit as well. And so I believe that this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, when Paul refers to the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, those are terms that are aptly descriptive of the Holy Spirit. Those are terms that are less likely to refer to the human spirit. He is the spirit of wisdom. He is the spirit of understanding. He is the spirit of knowledge. He is the spirit of truth. He is the spirit who comes into our lives and ministers to us the work of Jesus Christ. And so I believe that in this interpretive issue in verse 17 that Paul is praying for the Holy Spirit. He's praying for the Holy Spirit of God who is the spirit of wisdom and of knowledge, who is the spirit of revelation. And what he's praying for the church is that God would give to them the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You might be saying, wait, wait a second, Dan, in verse 13, Paul just said that God has already given to us the Holy Spirit, and that's true. In verse 13, Paul has said that God has given to us the Holy Spirit of God. But maybe you could think about it this way. In my marriage 15 years ago on my wedding day, I gave myself to my wife in a permanent way. I gave myself to her. And yet every single day of my life, I give myself to her again. Positionally, I am hers because that was a once and for all giving. But practically, I give myself my affections, my time, my loyalty to her every day of my life. And when Paul says that God has given to us the Holy Spirit, that doesn't negate the fact that he can give us the ministry of the Holy Spirit on an ongoing basis. In fact, it is the first gift of the Holy Spirit in our conversion that makes the other gifts possible, the continual giving of the Holy Spirit's ministry. And so what Paul is praying in verse 17 is he is saying, I do not cease to give thanks for you. And I'm asking that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ would give you the Holy Spirit. That he would manifest the Holy Spirit's power, the Holy Spirit's wisdom, the Holy Spirit's influence in your lives and in your church. And Paul bypasses all of the other circumstances in their lives, and he says, this is it. This is it. This is what you need. 
What you need is the Spirit. You may think you may need something else, but this is the real issue. You're struggling in your marriage. What do you need? More practical tips? No. You need the Holy Spirit. You're struggling at your work. What do you need? A better work ethic? No. You need the Holy Spirit. You're struggling with some sin and trying to overcome the sin. What do you need? A better pep talk? No. You need the Holy Spirit. What you need is the Holy Spirit. More of him. More of him in your life. And what God was teaching me these past few weeks is, Dan, that is what you need. You think you need other things. But what you need is the Holy Spirit of God. And would you note here that the ministry of the Holy Spirit comes to us in response to prayer. It comes to us in response to prayer. You may have left last week just asking, Dan, I understand, I need to be reliant on the Holy Spirit, but just practically, practically, how do I experience the power of the Spirit and the influence of the Spirit? Well, here it is. The Holy Spirit will minister to your heart in response to prayer. And if Paul had to pray for the ministry of the Spirit, so then we must pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we must pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, not just in general, but in specific as well. Husbands, when is the last time you pray, Holy Spirit, would you just come and just transform my marriage? Holy Spirit, I'm just praying with you. Would you just... Would you just make me a more Christ-like husband because that is what my wife needs. Or parents, when was the last time you just were on your knees and you were just desperate for God? You were just saying, look, you know, this parenting thing is beyond me. I don't understand these kids. They don't make sense. They come home and, and they're with me and they say things that, that I, don't, I don't know how to answer. And, and God, I just, I gotta have you. I gotta have the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, I'm desperate for him in my parenting. When was the last time you were just on your knees before God, just praying for help, for the Holy Spirit? See, this is the message that is in this text, that we need more of the Holy Spirit's ministry. And the Holy Spirit can do what we cannot. One of the reasons why God puts us in impossible situations is because those are the perfect situations for the Holy Spirit to do a work. If you are in a situation where you're saying, only God can fix this, then you are in a perfect situation for God to display his glory. As long as we are afflicted by the sin of self-reliance, we are not in that position where we are desperate for the Spirit. And I'm just sharing with you as a pastor that this is where I am. And I believe this is where we are. We must pray. We must pray. We must humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. We must humble ourselves and confess our sin. That for so too long, we have been self-reliant. We must humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and confess to him that we do not have the answers. We must pray as as the Puritans say, pray with prayer. And if you know what the Puritans 
meant by that. You know what they mean by that. There's praying, and then there's praying with prayer. There's praying where you're sort of flitting on the surface, and there's praying where you are really doing business with God. And we as a church must do business with God. We must humble ourselves before his throne of grace. And we must pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now when the Holy Spirit comes, and here's the good news. God is eager to give the gift of his Holy Spirit. God is not reluctant or stingy to manifest his spirit. He is eager to answer those kinds of prayers. When his children come to him and cry for the spirit, God is eager to bring the Spirit's ministry into their lives. But as James chapter 4, verse 2 says, you have not because you ask not. You have not the power of the Holy Spirit because you have not humbled yourself before me in prayer. And as God gives the ministry of the Spirit to work in our hearts and to work in our lives, to lead us and to guide us, to comfort and to counsel us, to transform our hearts, to revitalize our walks with the Lord, I want you to see in this text that there are two great blessings or benefits from the Holy Spirit coming into the church. The first is that when the Holy Spirit works in the church, he impacts the walk of a Christian. And the second is when the Holy Spirit ministers to the church, he illumines the word to the Christian's heart. So impact on our walks and illumination of the word. Those are the two great blessings of the Holy Spirit. And it is my joy to present these things to you as we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. Look at verse 17, the first point. In answer to prayer, God ministers through the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that he does is he impacts our walks. He impacts our walks. Look at verse 17. He says that I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a capital S spirit of wisdom and of revelation. And here's the key phrase, in the knowledge of him. In the knowledge of him. That word knowledge is a relational term. It is a relational term. It is not an intellectual idea. In the Old Testament, Adam knew his wife, and she gave birth to a son. It's the idea of personal relationship, of a drawing near, of a real and vital relationship with God. In essence, what Paul is talking about here is that the Holy Spirit comes, and he impacts our walks with the Lord. One of the first fruits of the Holy Spirit in the church is that people actually begin to walk with God. Now, you can be a Christian, and you can even be a Christian at Cornerstone and go for a long time and never even walk, and, and not really walk with God. Just go through the motions. Just know, learn the Christian lingo. Just fit the Christian culture. Just be busy with Christian activities, but in your heart, you're not really walking with God. You're not really knowing Him. You're not drawing near to Him in a personal relationship and growing in that, in that relationship with Him. And that is what the Holy Spirit does in his ministry is that he, he is the spirit of wisdom who brings us into a greater knowledge of God the Father. And I believe that this is the great need of our church. One of the things that the Lord has been teaching me in my heart is just he's been unveiling the sin of self-reliance. And the other thing the Lord has just been revealing in my own life is just how 
how little I actually genuinely walk with him. And I say this to my shame, that this is the reality of my life. That I too often settle for sacred substitutes. You know, it's like the sweet and low, that it tastes like sugar, but it's really not sugar. And there are things in our Christian lives that seem good, but they're not the real thing. They're not a genuine walk with God the Father in which we're communing with him, delighting with him, worshiping him on a daily basis, growing in an ever closer relationship with him, listening to his heart, understanding his will, delighting in his perfections. And how often we settle for sacred substitutes. I was listening, I was watching a, or reading a, an interview with Phil Vischer. He was the uh, CEO of Big Idea Videos. He was the voice of Bob Tomato. Some of you may know him from that. Veggie Tales. And my kids, I've watched all the, all the Veggie Tales videos. He's, he was the voice of Bob the Tomato, voice of uh, uh, that guy, uh, the Lunt guy, the, um, um, and, and the, the cucumber uh, that was Nebuchadnezzar. Um, he was the voice of all those guys. And his company went bankrupt. Video company folded right after the Jonah movie, which I had some theological problems with. And, but his company went bankrupt, and he said, um, here he is a number of years later. And he was once on the top of the ministry world, and his videos were making money and, the, and, and nationwide impact. And here he is a number of years later, and he's saying, what God is teaching me is that I'm repenting of the idolatry of ministry. That my main purpose in life was to make an impact on the world, and that was good and that was fine, but in, somewhere along the way, I lost sight of God himself. I lost sight of God himself. And what he's saying is that what God is teaching me right now is he's just sorting through all that. And he's showing me that number one in my life, I need to pursue him. I need to know him. I need to draw near to him. I need to delight in my relationship with him. And when I pursue knowing God, then he will determine exactly the impact that he wants me to have. And I thought to myself, that's exactly it. So many times we lose ourselves in sacred substitutes, wanting to be a good Christian, wanting to be, make an impact on others, wanting to be a good pastor, wanting to have a good church, wanting to have a successful ministry. And in the pursuit of those things, we lose sight of God himself. And we can be busy with all these things, and we're not walking with the Lord. We're just not walking with the Lord. Last week, I talked to um, Pastor Marcus Denny on Skype, and we we're just catching up and just praying for each other. And the thing I always come away with when I talk to Marcus is not all the great plans he has for ministry and not all the great schemes or philosophies that he's about, but really it's just, I come away just thinking that, that here is a man who knows his God, 
here is a man who walks with God. It's real. It's genuine. He's not faking it. He spends time with the Lord. He spends time communing with the Lord. He spends time wrestling with God and interceding with God and just drawing near to him and seeking to know him more. And, and there's, there's just something about a man who walks with God that you can smell it. There's almost a um, a heavenly aroma in his conversation because he's walking with the Lord and when you pray with him, it's not some formal thing, but it's, it's you feel that you're ushered into the throne room of God himself. And I came away from that conversation and I said to my wife, I said, if, uh, if at the end of my life, if I could just be a man who walks with the Lord. I mean, forget about if I'm a successful pastor, forget about if I'm a good speaker, forget about if I'm, if I'm a, known as a good shepherd. Or, I mean, all those things are, are secondary. If I could just be a man who walks with the Lord, if my kids could see me, that, that dad walked with God, that he knew God, it was real. It was genuine. He had a real relationship with him. It wasn't just formality. It wasn't just Christian stuff, Christian lingo, but it was real. If that's all that they could say about me, then I would die happy. Because we easily lose sight of that. We easily lose our way. D.A. Carson said, what is the most urgent need of the church today? He said that the thing that we most urgently need is a deeper knowledge of God. He said, we need to know God better. The truth is we are not captured by his holiness and love. We are not captured by his thoughts and his words. We need to know God better. And then he asked the penetrating questions which reveal our lack of the knowledge of God. He says practically, where is our delight in praying? And he speaks of not only praying, but praying with prayer. He says, where is our sense that we are meeting with the living God? That we are doing business with God? That we are interceding with genuine unction before the throne of grace? When is the last time we came away from a period of intercession feeling like Jacob? We have prevailed with God. We have wrestled with him and said, I will not leave until you bless me. And then he writes the words that brought me to my knees where he says, is it that we have become better at organizing than at agonizing? Is it that we have become better at administrating than at interceding? Is it that we have become better at fellowship than at fasting? Are we better at entertainment than at worship? Are we better at theological articulation than at spiritual adoration? Are we better, God help us, at preaching rather than praying? And then he says, can we hope to meet the challenges of our church if we are not people who know our God. Isn't that the question 
for Cornerstone Bible Church? Can we hope to meet the challenges of our church if we are not people who know our God? I know many of you are struggling what seems to be a lack of resolution. Many of you are struggling, which seems to be a lack of clear communication. Many of you are struggling with uncertainty, distraction, weariness. Can I say to you that I'm struggling with you praying for all those things and I'm praying for God to bring resolution God to bring clarity God to bring issues to be resolved God to bring clear communication I'm praying for all those things and can I shepherd you dear brothers and sisters in Christ that those things are not our greatest need this morning Those things are not our greatest need this morning. The greatest need that we have this morning is to know God. To know God. To walk with Him. To draw near to Him to fellowship, to really actually fellowship with him, to do business with him, to pray with prayer. To become men and women who know their God. And I believe that if you and I ask for the ministry of the Spirit, and if the ministry of the Spirit comes into our lives and it produce, He produces a genuine walk with the Lord in which we're knowing Him and delighting in Him and worshiping Him and trusting Him, then we will find in that place that He is enough. He is enough. That yeah, issues need to be resolved. Things need to be clarified. Problems need to be fixed, absolutely. But he, him, he alone, he is enough. He's enough for our hearts. He's enough for our joy. He's enough for our satisfaction. He's enough for our praise. He is enough. And so we must pray. We must pray with Paul that God would give us the spirit of wisdom, and a revelation to lead us to the knowledge of God the Father. And then secondly, when the Holy Spirit ministers to our hearts, he not only impacts our walks, but secondly, he illumines his word. He illumines his word. And this is just so beautiful. Look at verse 18. Paul says, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is the wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him, 
And then he says, here's the result, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That's such a beautiful phrase there. Would you look at it carefully? It's the Greek term photizo, to flood with light. The idea is that your heart and mind, though they be regenerate, are dull to the things of God. That without the Holy Spirit's sovereign intervention, our hearts will not be able to truly receive the truth of God. And so what the Holy Spirit needs to do in your heart and mind, every time we open a Bible, every time we hear a sermon, every time we go to a Bible study, every time we memorize a scripture, what the Holy Spirit needs to do in your heart and mind, because our hearts are so dull to the things of God, is that he must do a sovereign work of illumination in which he floods our hearts with light so that we may see. And that ministry of illumination you see in this text only comes in answer to prayer. We must pray for the ministry of illumination so that the time we spend in the word does not fall on deaf ears. It does not fall on hardened hearts. He says the eyes of our hearts need to be flooded with light. They need to be enlightened. They need to be opened to see the glory of the truths that are in God's word. And the result of the Holy Spirit's ministry in this way is, catch this, we begin to feel in our hearts a sense of the glory of the truths that are contained in the word of God. That is the effect of the Spirit's illumination in our hearts. It is not merely intellectual. It is a taste, a sense, a reality, a weight of the glory of the things that are spoken of in the Word of God. Look at verse 18. Paul says, I want the eyes of your hearts to be enlightened that, they may, that you may know what is, first of all, the hope to which he has called you. Secondly, what is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And thirdly, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? No, Paul is not praying that Christians just intellectually understand these things. If that was all that he was praying, he would just teach these things and you learn the verses and go home and we're good and we're done. That's not what he's praying. He's praying that the Holy Spirit would do a sovereign work in the hearts of believers to flood their hearts with light and with understanding so that not only do they understand what is their hope, but they feel the weight of the glory of their hope. Not only that they understand that their inheritance is glorious in heaven, but that they feel the weight of the glory of that truth that I'm going to heaven, I'm going to be with Jesus forever and ever. And that they not only understand, yeah, God is powerful and he's working in my life, but that they feel the weight of the glory of those truths in their hearts, that God is indeed powerful. He's more powerful than this trial. He's more powerful than this circumstance. He's more powerful than this problem and that his power is energetically, actively working in me. Paul doesn't want you to just, just know these things, that you understand the verses, and you can quote the Bible readings. But there is a ministry of the Spirit where he takes 
these glorious, unbelievable, majestic truths that are found in the word of God that are purchased for us through the work of Jesus Christ and the spirit just floods our hearts with light so that the lights come on and our hearts begin to understand and that we feel the sweetness and the greatness of that truth. You know, brothers and sisters, I've known about heaven since I was a boy. I mean, I could tell you, tell you things about heaven. I could quote facts about heaven, but what the Holy Spirit begins to do in your heart as you ask him to illumine your heart to this truth is you begin to feel the weight and the glory of heaven. And you begin to see things in your heart and perceive them as real. And oh, brothers and sisters, I can't do that. I can't do that as a teacher or preacher of God's word. That's why I'm just on my knees just saying, it's got to be the spirit. Because I can teach facts and give the Bible, but I can't make you feel things. I can't flood your hearts with light so that you come away transformed and and that you sing these songs that we just sung, not only saying the words, feeling the weight of the glory of these things. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. You see, those truths aren't just meant to be stated Intellectually, they are truths that are meant to be gloried in so that our hearts feel the weight of those things. And that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What does he want to do in your life? He wants to show you the hope to which you've been called. He wants to fix your eyes on the glorious inheritance that we have in Christ. He wants to show you the massive power that is a work in believers so that your eyes are taken off the smallness of your circumstances. And this is the ministry of illumination. If you hear me praying for the ministry of illumination, if you hear your pastors praying that Spirit would illumine these truths to our hearts, this is the text that we are praying from, that God would open the eyes of your hearts so that you understand the truths that are found in God's word. Jonathan Edwards wrote this about the Spirit's illumination. He said that the illumination of the Holy Spirit may be thus described as a true sense of the divine excellency of things revealed in the word of God. What, what the Holy Spirit does when he ministers to your hearts, he gives you not only an intellectual agreement, but a true sense that these things are excellent. So you can, I can tell you that the Stanley Cup is a glorious thing, but until I go to Staples Center, and I lift my voice with 10,000 fanatics, I don't feel the glory of the Stanley Cup. And the Holy Spirit brings to us a sense of the divine excellency revealed in the word of God. He brings us, Edward says, a real sense and apprehension arising from such a sight of the excellency and the glory of Jesus Christ, his work of redemption. There is a divine and superlative glory in these things. And Edward says that spiritual illumination gives a sense in the heart, a sense of the beauty or sweetness of a thing so that the heart is sensible of pleasure and delight. What Edwards is saying is that when the Spirit floods your heart, fotizo, with light, when he comes and turns the lights on so that you understand these truths, what will result 
in your heart is not only a clarity and an understanding of the truth of God, but a sense of sweetness and delight and affection for those things. When is the last time you had a quiet time like that? We just pleaded for the Spirit to open your eyes to the Word. When is the last time you came to Bible study like that? Just pleading with the Spirit. Spirit, open the eyes of my heart because I want to be changed. I want to come away different. When is the last time that was the prayer of yours? When you sat in a sermon, when you listened to biblical teaching, and you were just saying, Spirit, I need you as a hearer. I need you as one who listens to the word to right now be opening the eyes of my heart because I don't want to just understand the truth of God. I want to feel a sense of the delight and the sweetness in these things. Well, how we need the Holy Spirit of God. How we need the Holy Spirit's ministry. Let us repent of our self-reliance. Would you do that this morning? Just in your own heart. Would you just say to the Lord, Lord, I, I've been trying to do this on my own. Would you repent that self-sufficient spirit that says that we need to have all the answers that we need to figure everything out. And would you just with me, would you join me? This is, this is my prayer. Would you join me in just humbling yourself before the mighty hand of God, pleading for the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives, pleading that the Holy Spirit would revitalize our walks, pleading that the Holy Spirit would illumine his word, and pleading that the Holy Spirit would glorify Christ. It is the place the Spirit loves to shine his flashlight the most. It is on the person and work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And that is where the Spirit will lead us as we pray for his work and as we pray for his ministry. Would you bow with me in prayer? And let's pray to our God. Let us do business with our God. Let us pray for his spirit. Our heavenly father, you are the father of glory. You are the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are enough for us. You are sufficient for every trial, every circumstance, every problem. And Lord, our hearts are so stubborn. Sometimes you have to put us in these impossible situations just to show us that you are God and we are not. so easily fill our lives with sacred substitutes. We 
so easily fill our lives with work, family, ministry, with activities, relationships, and we miss just the joy of walking with you. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you impact each heart this morning? Would you do what I cannot, the frailness of my words? Would you do a work exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think in our church, Lord? We need you this hour, this day, Holy Spirit. We need you. (laughs) We don't need human answers. We don't need human solutions. We don't need man's wisdom. We need you. We need you. We are saying, we're humbling ourselves before you right now. We are praying for your ministry in our lives and in our church. Father, we thank you for your word, for all that you are teaching us. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen.